Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ, the fan. Find us on Facebook at Lakes, Woods, and Irons, and also uh, Podcast One, really wherever you find your podcast, you can find Lakes, Woods, and Irons. Brought to you in part by Ernie's on Gull, the On Point Burger Company. Great addition to Ernie's, locally owned, globally loved. And also by Emily Green's Golf Course, home to the largest screen in the universe. It's all about fun on the golf course, emilygreens.com. Chris, uh, just as we as we speak, a lot of things happened in the golf world lately with the uh, Solheim Cup and Patrick Cantlay. And then uh, just uh, today, as we record, uh, Steve Stricker, we get word on his on his Ryder Cup selections. Yeah, it's an uh, exciting week in golf. And, um, no big surprises in the, in the Ryder Cup selections, but uh, always good to finalize that team and exciting that we're Two weeks we'll be playing it. Yeah, did you get a chance to watch uh, Rom and Cantlay go at it again at all? And uh... you know, I, I saw. Um, I wasn't able to tune in until I think they were they were on sixteen uh, when I when I started watching. But I was following online and uh, they had quite a battle. And then when when Cantlay uh, uh, makes bogey on on sixteen, that kind of really. Uh, uh, yeah, it was kind of a new ball game at that point. Yeah, opened the door, and right after that, I think Rom had about eleven footer for birdie, and he didn't make it. So that would have tied the, that would have tied things up after sixteen. Right. But boy, Cantlay, two weeks in a row, he gets. Uh, I think he got Deshambo Saturday and Sunday the week before, and then he gets Rom Saturday and Sunday, and faces down the two uh, the two U.S. Open winners, the last two. Um, boy, pretty gutsy performance, and well, by all three guys, really. I mean, uh, DeChambeau, you can't hardly argue with six extra holes the week before. No, <laughs> and, no. Uh, and Rom just didn't make any putts. He was played uh, Cantley probably a little better than shot for shot through most of the day, but didn't roll anything in. No, that's right. And yeah, Cantley is fourth win of the year. Um, that's pretty rare air right there, but. Um, you know, kind of like you and I talked uh, a couple days ago. Was it, 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 the format uh, with him starting ten shots ahead of uh, the players without any points, and and two ahead of of, uh, of Rom? It, it's almost it's kind of hard to. It's almost like a five round event, and the, yeah, the, the can't like start it off. You know, I think Par was was. Par at East Lake is 70, so he starts off shooting 60, and uh, you almost have to follow it that way rather than I, – I, I, it seemed like every time I went to watch the leaderboard, I, I wanted to see exactly where the players had started off and where they, they were now in relationship to Par. But, yeah, uh, I don't I, – I mean, the old format maybe, other than that ridiculous, you know, he's got a 4 million points uh, system that they had, but <laughs> – but like the year that we talked about it before, when when Tiger won the ten million, and Phil won the million for the tournament, I mean that was great fun to watch. Then you get the the guy who wins yeah. the tournament, which would have been Rom, I think, and uh, and Cantlay still would have won the overall, I think, or maybe he wouldn't have. I don't know. Yeah. So I don't know how that point system works, but it's pretty. <laughs> uh, it's it's different for sure. When well, the same thing happened last year, the guy who actually would have won the tournament uh, didn't. So. 
But you don't yeah. have to cry too much for Rami. Did take home five million. <laughs> yeah, not, not all bad. Not all bad. And and bottom line, it was you know we we had the last three weeks have been tremendous golf. Um, so the 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 tournament golf itself was fantastic. It uh, it's just the the point systems and the system and how you follow it is a little uh, uh, hard to hard to understand, hard to follow. Ryder Cup, you kind of, it's kind of fun. There's six automatic qualifiers. They were Morikawa, Dustin Johnson, DeChambeau, Kepka, Justin Thomas, and Patrick Cantlay. Really can't argue with those guys, all probably in the top six or seven in the world right now. So uh, hard to not pick any of those guys. So they go automatically in. But then always a little drama with the next six picks, and there's always one or two guys on the outside looking in. So... Uh, Tony Finau and Xander Shoffley, seven and eight in the world. Chris, really, probably not too much uh, argument with those two. They've played great. Right. Then Jordan Spieth at uh, number nine in the world gets uh, selected as well. Can't hardly argue with that, Chris. He's a he's a competitor. No, he's he's one of the best competitors on tour year in and year out, regardless of how he's playing. And he's 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 played very well uh, the last half of the season here. Uh, Harris English at number ten has had a phenomenal year and uh, phenomenal last you know eight weeks has won twice so um, really the, that top ten you there you can't really uh, and traditionally you know the, the, throughout the course of time most of the time we've had ten automatic qualifiers and two captains picks yeah uh, a couple of years ago we had uh, four captains picks but all all those are, are uh, you know pretty easy uh easy picks so yeah they kind of select themselves then uh daniel berger and uh, scotty scheffler the last two and that's where you get into probably some conversation with either your favorites or guys that have uh, been outstanding in the past that don't make the team so but berger and scheffler you've seen their names on the leaderboard all year long oh yeah both have had had great years and uh, you know, you leaving Patrick Reed off the team, he, he, he's got a tremendous Ryder Cup record. Um, you know, him being sick, uh, here the last, last couple weeks, uh, I, I'm sure that had a factored in big on, uh, whether they pick him or not. Sure. Um, you know, what Webb Simpson being left off, uh, he's, he's awful good Ryder, Ryder Cup record as well. Hasn't, uh, played quite as well. Uh, as typical the last, uh, you know, six, eight weeks. So, But it's uh, you, you're never going to get everybody on the team right. that, uh, that may be deserving. So it, uh, it's going to be a great Ryder Cup. Yeah, and then Kevin Na and Kevin Kisner both kind of – Kisner's kind of a fan favorite because he's, he's kind of every man, and he's actually done quite well at the, at the Ryder Cup. So, but uh, – yeah, that's the team. It looks pretty good, I would say. Uh, of course, uh, Solheim Cup, we'll talk about that later in the show. But uh, we look like the favorites on paper, but that never matters. <laughs> we always we always do, and we haven't uh, we haven't utilized that favorite role very well <laughs> we in haven't. recent history. <laughs> We've got uh, Joel Comstock coming up, Chris. Yes. Uh, Joel's from the MGA, and we're going to talk about a great program they've been running the last couple of years. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley. Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ, the fan. Find us on Facebook at Lakes, Woods, and Irons, and also uh, 
wherever your podcasts are sold. Uh, we're there at Lakes, Woods, and Irons as well. Brought to you in part by uh, by Cragen's Golf Courses. Be sure to check out everything that Cragen's has to offer. Uh, the great golf course, the construction underway on the new golf course. So wonderful things happening at the Legacy Courses. Chris, a very special guest uh, with us. I'll let you handle the introductions. Yeah, I want to welcome to the show Joel Comstock. Joel is the Regional Affairs Director with the Minnesota Golf Association. Joel, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Joel, I wanted to get you on and talk about uh, a great program the MGA is involved in. But before we get going, t- tell us what the Regional Affairs Director of the MGA does. What, what, what's your position with the MGA? Yeah, I've been with the MGA for over 20 years now, and uh, as regional affairs director, last 15, and I kind of, I'm the member uh, club liaison as a major role. So my goal is to help make sure all the programs that we do at the MGA are a good thing for our clubs, and uh, we work closely with all their clubs, like Craigans, and uh, over 400 clubs in the state at this point, and uh, want to make sure the game of golf is growing alongside with our allied associations. So that's kind of my main role. I do a lot of different things. I kind of I consider myself not an expert in anything, and I help out in all our areas from championships <laughs> to other programs, uh, communications, things like that. Yeah, so... The, I think people always get mixed up with, you know, they mix the PGA up, the USGA, the PGA of America, the, yes, you know, the yes. PGA Tour. So the, the, the Minnesota Golf Association would be the kind of the branch of the United States Golf Association in the state of Minnesota and really runs all the, the major amateur events in Minnesota and then helps out clubs, correct? Correct. Yeah, we... We are kind of the governing body in the state of Minnesota for amateur golf, and we work alongside all the other allied associations, which you just mentioned, amongst many other ones. Um, but, yeah, we have over 70,000 adult members at this point, and they, they have handicaps, which a lot of them, you know, they get a, a USGA handicap or a gin card. They're a member of the MGA. Uh, they get the magazine. Those are main two ways that they know they're a member and so forth, and they join through their clubs like at Craigans or wherever, and uh, they help help us help them with the golf and uh, making sure uh, we love, keep doing good at the game we all love. Well, that's great. Well, Joel, I, I wanted to have you on the show. I, I've got an email from you recently about uh, Minnesota Youth on Course, which is is a fantastic program and a, a national program, I believe. But uh, uh, in your email, and you, you, if you can explain Youth on Course for us, but over the past couple of years, they've uh, played 110,000 rounds of golf uh, as a result of Youth on Course. And t- tell us about that program. Yeah, so Youth on Course, like you said, it's a national program. It started about 13 years ago down in, or over, I should say, in California, Northern California. Um, They were looking to get kids access to golf courses for $5 or less. Um, The whole idea was how can we get kids on the course um, to play golf, to work alongside uh, the PGA, the First Tee, these other great programs that help teach the game. Now let's get them all playing and enjoying it on their own. Um, the obstacle of cost was a big thing, at least when they started in California, obviously. And so they figured out this program. Um, how do we get kids to play? They got some courses to allow them to play for $5 or less, while the local association helped subsidize the rounds. And it just grew from there. Um, after about, I want to say, eight or nine years, they thought, this is such a great program. We need to make this available in other states. And a few other states joined on, and we've came on about 
maybe 15th state in the country. We just we knew about the program. Um, we didn't know how we would be able to support it, but we found a way with our new foundation, and we jumped on four years ago. In 2017, we had a soft launch in our state late in the summer, and then a 2018 was our big uh, kind of started going. And we had, uh, in 2018, 1,500 kids joined. They became MGA members, uh, so they got a handicap, they got a magazine, they got all the benefits all our other members get, along with playing golf at facilities in the state that jumped in with us for $5 or less. That first year, we had about 40 golf courses in our state. Uh, over time, we've grown. We've grown very fast. We took the philosophy in Minnesota to join, uh, just to grow as many co courses that wanted to participate and get as many kids, and we would find the money to help pay for the program. Um, 2019, we jumped to nearly 5,000 members. And then 2020, as we all know, COVID-19 hit. Uh, a lot of things closed. Golf was not sure for a little bit, but then when it opened, as we all know, opened with a bang, and this program jumped to over 11,500 members last year. It gave a kid op kids opportunity to maybe go have fun outside in a safe social distance atmosphere, and it allowed uh, maybe a mental break for many kids and parents. Uh, Nearly half our rounds that kids play uh, through Youth on Course are played in a family environment, so a lot of adults get to play golf, too. Um, so now Youth on Course nationally is in every state, which is a great program, and they're actually at about 1,600 different courses, and it's growing. In the state of Minnesota, we have about 100 facilities the last couple of years that we've gotten, so it's great. A lot, of, a lot of golf courses, a lot of golf courses in the Brainerd area that do it. So we really appreciate that. And um, like you said, we've had over 110,000 rounds here in the state of Minnesota alone in the last two years. And it's growing because obviously we're still playing golf at this point, and we plan on probably maybe having another eight to 9,000 rounds to the end of October. Because even though kids are in school right now, they are still playing golf after and during the, summer, uh, during, uh, the weekends. So yeah, well, that, that, is, that is great. You know, the, I've done a, over the past, 10 years i've done a lot of research on you know there there are areas in the country that are you know definitely the game of golf is has thrived despite downtimes in the golf business and right now you know during the pandemic we had this huge bump in in participation in golf and uh i think it, you know our our job is is people in the industry is is to maintain this and as as people go back to work and uh, kids are able to go back to all the other sports they normally play. Uh, we've got to we've got to keep keep these people's people engaged in the game. And one and you know some of the things that are barriers to the game of golf are are, are the cost and accessibility of the golf course. And um, this program that's what it does so well is, I mean, five dollars to play all these great golf courses is, is incredible. Yeah. And, and that's one thing we looked at. At the end of 2020, we had 11,500 members. We went up from roughly under 5,000. We didn't think we would grow in 2021 from a membership standpoint um, just because of how 2020 was so different. Well, we have 13,100 members this year. So that, I think, is a sign of people that love the game, joined and played a little bit more last year wanted to come back and play, even though all the other youth sports, a lot of more um, schedule conflicts for families, things going on, work, uh, parents are maybe working in their office a little bit more, things like that. 
they're still finding time to play golf. Our rounds went down slightly this year, but they're still going to, out of the 110, we've had about 50,000 of them played this year. So they're still playing a lot. Um, Our courses, our facilities that I mentioned, about 100 in the state of Minnesota, have done an awesome job at being able to manage the demanding growth in golf in general and still finding time to let these kids go out and play for that price. We all are running businesses here for in the golf industry, and it's um, people are the demand, like you said, in golf is very strong. But they're still making sure they get the kids out because we all know the, how important it is to get them acclimated and playing golf and having fun, and that's uh, the future of golf. And so, uh, a lot of great facilities helping us out, being able to manage that, and at the same point, allowing these kids to play. So we really appreciate appreciate that. It's, it's an awesome thing. And Youth on Course, like I mentioned before, uh, they've done a great job, and we, along with our allied associations too, it's not just for um, the kids just to come out and play golf. They need to learn the game. So we have the golf professionals that help teach it. We have leagues and lessons at each club level where they've been very strong, help show kids how to play. Now, um, you know, I'm 44. I grew up where, and, and older people too, where you could go out and play park hockey, play sandlot baseball, just go do things on your own. It's not so common. I'm a, I'm a father of two daughters, 10 and 7, and I don't see my children going out as much and just playing um, games like that on their own. It seems like we, what we call is check, check league hockey or checks. You know, you, you got to go and play um, organized sports. Youth on course is not organized, and that's the beauty of it. It works alongside the organized leagues, organized tournaments, organized other things. Now go play golf when you just have time. And because it's only $5 less, you and this, uh, the youth on course member and their father or mother might just go play five holes because uh, they have an hour and it's a beautiful day and they weren't planning on it, but, wow, we found an hour. Let's go play a little bit. This is where that works, and it seems to really have helped, I think, getting kids more adapted. We've learned a lot of kids that have played baseball last year that didn't get to that are playing baseball this year, but they're also playing golf now. So yeah. it's great. Fantastic, yeah. Well, Joe, the, the Minnesota Golf Association has helped support uh, Youth on Course, which, which takes some money, and I know you guys have some fundraisers coming up to help support that, so tell us about that. Yeah, so like I mentioned earlier, it costs a lot of money to run this program, but we've had uh, the members help pay for it, but we need to fundraise, and we've dedicated the month of September as our fundraiser month this year. We have a couple of outlets of what we're doing. Um, we've, been, we've partnered with the national office, and there's a 100-hole hike. Uh, there's a couple sites, one at Mads Resort and then one down at Lafayette Club where golfers are going to play 100 holes in one day and walking and try and raise money for youth on course all that money will stay here in minnesota to help pay for the subsidies for the kids that play in minnesota um you can go to find that information on our website on mngolf.org uh underneath juniors and youth on course we also have another fundraiser that we know it's hard for a lot of golfers to walk 100 holes in one day that's about it's almost a marathon i've done it three times I've run a marathon in my younger years. I'll never do one again. But I understand the mental strain of playing that much golf. Um, you get through about a whole 50 or 60, and it's 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and you're like, oh, my gosh, i got to do you know 50 more, and I'm exhausted. But uh, you figure out a way, and you get through it. It's for the kids, and so it's, it's a great cause. We decided to make an event that maybe the kids could help us fundraise. 
and uh, other board MGA board members or anyone to play 100 holes of golf just in the month of September. We call it the 100K Challenge. Our goal through all our fundraising in the month of September is to raise $100,000 so we can help make this growing program sustainable for the future to go alongside uh, all the member dues we get that help pay for this. And there, at this, on, under our website at mngolf.org, under Juniors and Youth on Course, you can find information about the 100K. And if you'd want to participate or donate, you can just sign up there. And uh, all the proceeds will go to uh, Minnesota Youth on Course. We just ask people, go play golf uh, in the 100K Challenge. Play 100 holes in the month of September, and then we ask that you tell people about it, what you're doing, why you're doing it, and please help. And so if you participate in that, that's a great cause, too. Uh, if, you, you keep, if, you're, if you're not a golfer but you love, you love to help kids out, you can just donate, too. So it's a great – hopefully we'll get to that. Right now we're at, between all our fundraising abilities. We're at about thirty $35,000 here early on. So we're looking to, you know, grow and to get that 100,000 mark um, so we can keep getting kids out on the golf course. Well, that's fantastic, Joel. And give, give us the website for that again one more time. It is www.mngolf.org. 100 holes in September, Chris. I think I can do it. Yeah. I think you should, and Mac. That'll probably match the rest of the summer. <laughs> There's a... There, <laughs> Exactly. There's a sign-up form. If you sign up, we'll get you a toolkit. If you participate in the 100K Challenge, you also get a welcoming gift that'll get you a hat, a youth on course hat, some tees, a $25 gift card to our partner in Second Swing. So even if you don't raise a lot of money, you're getting something out of it too. So it's a great, a great cause. And if you do start raising money, we do have an incentive plan to help get you more gift cards from Second Swing. So uh-huh. it's a promo- it's a little promotional piece from them. And, um, yeah, we have a lot of uh, people looking to fundraise, and we hope we hope we have a few hikers up in the uh, up in Brainerd to do the hundred hole hike. On the hundred hole hike on that one day is Monday, September twenty seventh. And if you're interested in participating in the one day event, you can reach you can find it on our website under mngolf.org, or you can reach out to me, Joel Comstock, and my email is Joel J O E L at mngolf.org, and I will get you set up right away. Well, that's awesome, Joel. We're certainly going to help spread the word for you. So appreciate it coming on the show, Joel, and uh, what a great program. Yeah, again, Chris, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I appreciate all our course partners uh, in the state of Minnesota, like Craigens, helping us grow the game. You guys, we all do our best to try to keep it strong, and so I appreciate all the efforts from everyone. And uh, look forward to talking about this in the future and watching it grow. All right, thanks, Joel. That is Joel Comstock, a Regional Affairs Director of the MGA, and uh, what a cool program, Minnesota Youth on Course. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ, the fan. Find us on Facebook at Lakes, Woods, and Irons, and also Podcast One, or really wherever you can find your podcast, you can find Lakes, Woods, and Irons, brought to you in part by uh, Cross Lake uh, and Mill Avenue Holiday Stores, and also by Mills Ford, your hometown dealer since 1922. What we have here is an interview with uh, Chandler Worthington. With We're at Ryder Cup time, and Chandler is the director of golf at Hazeltine, put together the golf course when the Americans had the uh, great run at Hazeltine a few years back. So this interview from a couple of years ago with Chandler Withington.
Chris, I'll let you handle the introductions. Yeah, I got a special guest, uh, one of my favorite guys in golf, Chandler Worthington, the uh, director of golf at Hazeltine National. Welcome to the show, Chandler. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me on. How are you? Um, we're good, thanks. Just uh, excited about the start of the golf season and uh, really excited about uh, some great news from the PGA of America a couple weeks ago that, that Hazeltine will be hosting the 2026 uh, Ryder Cup again. No, correct. Um, yeah, a few weeks ago, we were able to make the exciting announcement for, for 28, and I think it, it caught a lot of people by surprise, I, I would say myself included. When I got the chance to come out here and, and I got the job in 2012, of course, we knew the Ryder Cup was on the horizon, and uh, up until this point, it's been a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. But I think when you, you look at what the Ryder Cup has become uh, from just a size standpoint, uh, logistics, um, our property was so well set up for the Ryder Cup that uh, I think it kind of opened their eyes to, to maybe what the future of the event looks like and the kind of places they need to go. Uh, but we gave them a great template, and uh, from a business standpoint, it was um, it was a smart decision for them. I, we think so in, in, in the Midwest, and I think that's a, it's a testament to a lot of things that went our way um, from um, the fan involvement um, to, of course, the outcome of the event, uh, the weather of the event. But I think also, if you look at where the future of championships are going, and uh, also some announcements that were made re- regarding the PGA Championship after 2016 and, and having that date moved, it was going to start to limit the championships that can be played up here in Minnesota. You know, we just saw Aaron Hills host the U.S. Open in Wisconsin last summer. So it shows that a U.S. Open can come back to this area. We, we like to believe we've kept a, a great relationship with the USGA and the PGA. I think the PGA also was just trying to look at how can we bring a championship back to Hazeltine, knowing that May might take us out of the running for where the PGA championship is going. So um, we're, we're so glad that it fell into place. Uh, Ten years feels like a long ways away, but we also know how fast it can come. Yeah, gosh, I, I remember when they announced the, the Ryder Cup for – uh, 16 at Hazeltine, and it seemed like it was a lifetime away, and it uh, it went in a flash. So this uh, just went 10 years away. It'll, it's it's going to go very quickly as well. Is it the first course to to repeat, Chandler? Did I read that? First first time they've ever gone back to yeah. a course. Correct in in the United States. Uh, yeah, in a few venues overseas. Uh, the Belfry, most notably, I think the Belfry's had three or four. Uh, but in the United States, it's always been a one-and-done and, and move on to the next. So uh, from an American standpoint, it's a change in the course of history. Jim, kind of two, two-part question. The, the, uh, with the PGA Championship moving to May, does that really eliminate Hazeltine or you know, a lot of the, the Midwest venues? And then secondly, how did, uh, how did hosting another PGA come about? Was that something that Hazeltine lobbied for? Did the PGA come to you guys? Or how did that all work? Well, I think the first part, as far as May goes, you look at a spring of what we just had, and um, snow there during the, the second week of April. So I don't, well, I don't think it's impossible. It's a challenge. Um, it looks like we're probably going to open up here in a few weeks. So to, to imagine that we would have a championship in a few weeks, um, I wouldn't say is undoable. I think they'll, they'll get a pretty good idea when they go to Oak Hill in Rochester, New York, in 2023 because um, I think they, they face pretty similar weather. Of course, they're getting the lake effect off of Lake Erie. Um, so I can't really answer that. Uh, Chris, I think we're going to have to – I think they don't know themselves, but conventional wisdom would say that they're probably going to be staying um, at cities like maybe a Chicago or Philadelphia. I think Aronimic has the PGA Championship in 27. 
you know, so they, the conventional measure was to say that they're going to stay south of, of cities like that and not take too many risks, but, but I could be completely wrong. So um, I think they're also going to look to see, it, is this something that really catches on? Um, as as someone who's involved with Hazel Team, we'd love to have the PGA Championship back up here, but as a PGA member, I think they're doing a smart thing and at least trying this and moving the PGA Championship up into May. And I get a lot of questions about, you know, why did they move the PGA Championship date? And I think the, the biggest determiner uh, was just that it, the, the FedEx Cup playoffs wasn't getting a lot of traction. And the biggest reason was that it was kicking off on Labor Day. And, uh, you know, it, you're competing against the NFL football at that time of year. So they wanted to move the PGA Championship up into May. You then end up with the Players' Championship in March. Masters in April, the PGA in May, the U.S. Open in June, and the Open Championship in July, and then right into the FedEx Cup playoffs and actually be done by Labor Day. So I don't really know the date yet, but technically speaking, our Ryder Cup could be early September once time it comes around in 28. So I think they've got to try that, that setup and at least have a big event in every month and, and see if that doesn't change interest for the playoffs. I think the biggest obstacle for the FedEx playoffs is I don't think most people understand really how it works. Uh, conventional playoffs that we watch, you know, whether it's the NCAA tournament or uh, the World Series or the Stanley Cup playoffs, is you know two teams play each other and one team gets eliminated. And with the FedEx Cup playoffs, you could have the guy who wins the FedEx Cup, you know, finish eighth in that final tournament. And I think it confuses some people. So I'd, I'd love to see the PGA Tour look at it a little differently and and treat it more like a true playoff where there's you know elimination that people can understand. I think you get more of an audience that way. And then the second part of, of your question, I think, as far as uh, how it was negotiated with the PGA of America, we've got a great championship committee here, uh, led by our current president, Papa Finsky, uh, Patrick Hunt, who's the chairman of uh, the Ryder Cup here in 16, and Jim Dewalter, Reed McKenzie, and a few others uh, are really the ones that helped move the needle here. They were back in negotiating with the PGA of America shortly after the Ryder Cup, and uh, the first piece that I felt was a, a great relational piece is that the PGA of America asked us to host the 2019 KPMG Women's PGA Championship. Uh, they've been elevating uh, the venues for that tournament uh, over the last few years, going back to Saheli, I think, uh, two or three years ago, and Olympia Fields last year, Kemper Lakes in Chicago this year, us here next year in 19, and then Neronimic in 2020. So uh, we love the relationship we have with the PGA of America and the USGA uh, to host the 2020 U.S. Junior for the USGA is something else we're also looking forward to. And the last piece of that I would throw in there is uh, if you think about the U.S. Junior, which is the best players 18 and under, uh, it's a tournament that's been won by players like Jordan Spieth and Tiger Woods. Is uh, I would venture to say that we're probably going to see three or four players that play here in 2020 for the U.S. Junior that will make the Ryder Cup team here eight years later. That, that was going to be one of my questions for you. I thought uh, that, that would uh – that's really going to be neat. It's a, the best field in junior golf, and there's a good chance a lot of those players or some of them may be, may be playing in the Ryder Cup the next when it's there. Yeah, well, we look back, uh, we had the 2006 U.S. Amateur here, and then 10 years later had the Ryder Cup. And uh, you know, two players that made match play here for the American side were Ricky Fowler and Dustin Johnson. And, and there were some other great players in the field, uh, Webb Simpson and, and you know Billy Horschel shot 60 at the town course that year. So... You're, uh, it's kind of like the minor leagues of golf. You're getting to see the best talent before they really hit the big stage, and it's always so hard to predict who's going to make it and who's not. And um, Even with the Walker Cup, you see some players will come right off the Walker Cup team and go right to the tour. Uh, we're watching that with Maverick McNeely right now uh, from the 17 Walker Cup, but it, it takes some players a little bit longer, but 
they I would anticipate, just like we saw with the 06 U.S. Amateur, in eight to ten years, you'll see some players really mature and, and be the frontline players for the Ryder Cup like we just saw two years ago. You know, ten years away, uh, when do the pre- preparations really start in earnest? Just from my experience, uh, I arrived here at, at Hazeltine in the, in the spring of 2013, and um, it seemed like they really had their structure all set out. Um, they had a, a tournament chairman picked out with Patrick Hunt long before I got here. Uh, so that, I mean, it seems like that was maybe in place six to seven years out. And, and um, that we had a tournament director at the time um, who actually eventually headed on to another project and, and led us to, to have Jeff Hintz as our director. But I'd say that the, the real heavy planning is really kind of a four- to five-year window. So we're going to focus on the women's championship for next summer. That, that's our focus right now is to elevate interest for that and, and then host a great U.S. Junior Tournament, which uh, will be the first time that they've expanded the size of the field, almost doubling it to the 300-plus players who will qualify, and, uh, and then really shift our focus towards the Ryder Cup as we get into 21 or 22. PGA Championship, uh, with the move and all that, I, I, I'm kind of a Northwest guy, Chandler, just for background, and then a Midwest guy, where I think it's a great golf culture in both both parts of the country. I, I would love it if the if the FedEx Cup would throw a bone to the Midwest and the Northwest and put one of those fall tournaments or late summer tournaments in those because the weather's so nice in Minnesota and say Washington or Oregon that time of year maybe since they can't probably ever get a PGA now maybe they could get in on the FedEx uh, FedEx tour at some point and I wouldn't rule that out I, I think there have been some local clubs that have been competing for that opportunity we've seen that that stop happen in Indiana Crooked Stick we've seen it obviously at Chicago at Conway Farms in a few other places. So when you look at the FedEx Cup playoffs, we've seen an event at Cherry Hills and Denver. Um, so we've seen them go through the Midwest here, and, and I wouldn't rule that out for the future, especially you know, to your point, if, if there aren't going to be as many major championships up here in the future because of the PGA move, which August was ideal for us. Uh, I'd be curious to see if that doesn't happen in the future. I wouldn't rule that out. You're listening to our interview from a couple of years ago with Chandler Withington, Director of Golf at Hazeltine. As we get uh, closer to the uh, Ryder Cup this year, Chandler, I'm, I'm sure we'll try to have you on again. Are you going to go to Europe this year for the for the uh, Ryder Cup? Yeah, you know, I'm not going to go to Paris. Okay. Uh, I think we, we finished up the Ryder Cup, and I, I thought I might take a little bit of a break from it. <laughs> so we're excited about that. So I'll be home watching on TV like a lot of people. Um, but uh, I'm already paying attention to, to the storylines, and uh, there's going to be some new players for the United States team. Um, trying to make my predictions on who the rookies are going to be, who can be the first-timers. And uh, especially, I think, as you look across the way at Europe, uh, there's going to be some new players on their team that I think will be very impactful. Uh, the most obvious is John Rahm from Spain. Um, but the less obvious ones that I think will, will be really apparent is uh, I look at guys like Tommy Fleetwood. Two years ago, Paul Casey was ineligible to make the team. This year, he is eligible, and we've already seen him win once on tour, and then he had a great Sunday at Augusta. I look at uh, players like Alex Noren, who's already you know uh, been right up there in a playoff uh, out in San Diego. Uh, I look at Ty Hatton and, and a number of other players, uh, combined with the, the great names we already know, the, the Rorys, the Sergios, Justin Roses, Stensons. You know, they're going to they're be a tough team. They're coming off a loss, and they're playing at home where the United States hasn't won since 1993 so it's it's going to be a bigger challenge than i think what we saw here two years ago yeah that's a formidable team for sure (laughs) wow their their potential team is definitely trending in the right direction at the time right now yeah and and i don't think anybody's really talking about that no i think uh i remember reading an article by uh, jim nugent uh last year where 
he said the Ryder Cup's going to really go through a slump now for the next 78 years. Uh, he really felt like the Americans <laughs> are now going to yeah. become a more dominant team. And I, I kind of laughed at it like you did. I, you know, I, I just don't think it goes that way. And I think that's just such a credit to how good those European teams were uh, through the, the late 90s and the early 2000s that they won 8 out of 10. That, that's remarkable. I don't see the United States going on a run like that. Uh, I think it could be back and forth here on, on home and home for the next eight to ten years, but we we'll just have to sit back and let, uh, let let things play out as they will. Yeah, I think there's a couple things. I think that home field advantage is is very big. I think that, that the level of play uh, from Europe is so strong that uh, we're going to have to bring our best game there every uh, every year. I think we're going to see more events like this Masters where going into the Masters, I loved watching the Golf Channel and having the panel sit down and go, you know, there's about 15 guys that you could make an argument that they are the favorite for this tournament. That's how good the fields are now and how deep the fields are when there's a a dozen or more guys that really can be a favorite week to week. Oh, for sure. And especially when you get to the Ryder Cup, you got 12 players in each team, and you just don't know who's going to elevate that week. Patrick Reed shows up for that event, um, but you know, look at the other side. You know, uh, Cabrera Bell, Rafa Cabrera Bell played great for Europe here in '16, uh, and he hasn't slumped off in the last two years. Uh, so the Ryder Cup t- tends to make names for some players, and yeah, you know, I, I just look at John Rahm, and I just think that his mentality. Uh, I don't know what it is about the guys from Spain. We've seen this with Seve and, and with Sergio and, and a few others. Uh, Garcia, you know. Uh, going back in, into the 80s, uh, but the players from Spain seem to play with a lot of passion when it comes to the Ryder Cup. Yeah. Jose Marie and Seve and yeah. Sergio. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Ignacio Grito. I mean, there, there, there are so many of them that, yeah. that some of their better players have been coming out of Spain. So I look at John Rahm the same way. Well, Chandler, great stuff. We really appreciate you coming on, and uh, congratulations on on the uh, on the Ryder Cup, and uh, we'll look forward to hearing more as the as the year goes on. Great. No, thanks for the call. Always fun talking to you guys. Chandler Withington, director of golf at Hazeltine. Uh, what an accomplishment to get the Ryder Cup back there again. So, thanks a million, Chandler. We appreciate it. You're listening to Lakes Woods and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes Woods and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald, with you. 1380 KLIZ, the fan. Thanks to our guests, uh, Joel Comstock and uh, Chandler Withington. Uh, Good opportunity and uh, just great guests with great things going on. We sure do appreciate them. uh, You can find us on Facebook at Lakes Woods and Irons, also wherever you find your podcasts at Lakes Woods and Irons. Brought you away in part by uh, Maury's, where you can eat more fish, have a little lunch at their mobile galley in Brainerd, great lobster rolls and fish tacos, Maury's in Motley and Brainerd. Chris, uh, uh, we're both kind of busy over the weekend, but Monday got to watch a little bit of the Solheim Cup. It's fun to watch the singles and, in that case, see if the U.S. could uh, take the long road back and win. They uh, couldn't quite get all the way back. No, you know, the, the score was much closer than the, than the match actually indicated, the, the U.S. losing uh, 13-15. But uh, uh, they just, they you know, they got off to a bad start on Saturday in the morning. They they only won a half a point in the morning and really couldn't um, couldn't catch up following that, despite a good Sunday afternoon. Yeah, some of our top players ended up not uh, not really uh, bringing home the points early, and then uh, they played a little better on Sunday, but or Monday, I should say, but a little too little, too late. Yeah, that that being said, I you know until the singles, we all it, it seemed like every match went down to the seventeenth or eighteenth hole, so. 
it, even though they, you know, they they got beat, it was it was there were some very good battles out there. So yeah, uh, yeah, lot lot of fun. And, and uh, Inverness was a, is a fantastic golf course. I loved watching the golf on it. And 24 of the best golf swings in the world because the women always have the best golf swings. They, they kind of have to. <laughs> they are a certain size, a lot of them, and, and they can hit it as far as the guys, even though they weigh 120 pounds or less. <laughs> no, that's right. It's a high-level play. I, I love watching that Nellie Cordes. She, she, she has talked about it before, but in men's game or, or the ladies' game, she is one of the best players in the world right now. She, she can really play. Yeah, really, really dialed in. Also, uh, getting me dialed in on uh, Monday, Chris, that was fun. Uh, had an opportunity to get a fitting from you. I've never done that before, so uh, let's kind of walk through that process. It was quite a bit of, uh, it was enjoyable for me just because it's kind of a learning experience, and uh, hmm, maybe some of these clubs are better than my 20-year-old clubs. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. It, it's a fun process to go through, and I'm always surprised when somebody buys a set of clubs just off the rack without ever hitting them and without ever being fit for them. Because it's uh, once you go through a fitting, you, you definitely see that there are big differences from club to club to club. You're uh, enough of a, an expert at it, of course, where you've seen my swing over the last uh, several years now, quite a few years actually. So you have an idea. We go to the tee. Uh, I hit the seven iron that's in my bag, and then you brought out three, three clubs that you thought I should try, and uh, then we just go through the fitting and talk about the uh, launch angle and shot dispersion and uh, things like that a little bit, Chris. We started off. I we I always start a fitting by having the the player hit their own equipment. Uh, number one, so we can establish a baseline of where they're at with their current equipment. So we know if, if, if the new equipment is actually better for them, you know, both in distance and shot dispersion. But we, we, we gather some data with, with your current equipment, and that, that would include your club head speed, your angle of attack, your ball speed, uh, your spin rate, your launch angle, and a few other things with, with that golf club. And then based on those numbers, we're going to choose several clubs, several makes models of clubs um, for you to hit and test. And, um, you know, the, the different factors are the, the, the lying over the golf club, the shaft flex, the length, uh, and then kind of the, the type of club head in, in an iron, whether it's a, uh, you know, a game improvement club, more of a, or a super game improvement club that, that has the, the ultimate in forgiveness, or, or is it more of a, a play, a blade, or player's type of golf club, and we, we take all those factors into consideration. And then once we choose several clubs, it's a process of hitting four to five, initially four to five shots with each golf club. We collect the data, and then we compare compare that data club to club to club, and based and then compare it to your baseline. And, and generally, uh, as you found, there's going to be one or two clubs that stand out and perform better for you. Uh, they feel better. The, the, your shot dispersion's better. You hit them farther, and uh, it's kind of a narrowing down process. Uh, and by changing shaft and uh, shaft flex, the type of shaft material, steel or graphite, we really kind of narrow it down. It's kind of like going through an eye exam. See what see what club performs the best for you. 
And it happens pretty quick to eliminate uh, uh, one or two brands or one or two different uh, types of clubs, maybe the same brand. Uh, we had uh, three three irons in in my case, and uh, kind of knew right away that the one the one wasn't going to work. I think I think maybe in my mind it felt quite a bit like my uh, current clubs, and they seem a little light in my swing. I thought, and the other two seemed a little a little heavier at the bottom. I guess is the way the layman might ex- explain it, uh, which sure. is good for is good for me. I think. You know, I'd say there, there's no one best club, or there's no one best club, but there's a best club for you. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think if you only if you go into a fitting, and only try one golf club that you have your heart set on brand X Y Z in that golf club, you're you're doing yourself a disservice. You'll still get a club that fits you well, but is it the club that performed the best for you? Right. Yeah. I'm excited. I've got mine ordered from you, and uh, they're coming in this month. So. Yeah. Get to try them out and see what happens. We should have them uh, early next week. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Yeah, thanks for the fitting, and uh, I highly recommend it. You can give uh, Chris a call or, or your local pro and, uh, and get, a, uh, get a fitting. It'll be well worth it, I think. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Mac. That's Chris Foley. I'm Colin McDonald. You've been listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons.